0: This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Welcome. My name is Craig. If I haven't met you, I'm one of the pastors here, and I just joined my voices to rob, my voice to Robs say thanks for being here. We are in a series where we are walking uh, through some sections of the book of Proverbs. And we're calling it, it's about a month-long series called Proverbs for the Home. So two weeks ago we looked at what does the Proverbs, uh, the book of Proverbs have to say to husbands. Then last week we looked at what does the book of Proverbs have to say to wives. And today we're going to look at what does the book of Proverbs have to say uh, about marriage. And this is not going to be a teaching that that you know, covers all that the Bible has to say about marriage because the book of Proverbs doesn't cover broadly what the Bible has to say about marriage. It really only covers uh, largely one specific aspect that I'm going to talk about today. The biblical picture of marriage overall is that marriage was created by God to reflect Christ and the church. So this is why in Ephesians 5 he says, "'Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church.'" And he says to wives, wives, love and respect your husbands as the church responds to Christ. So that through the marriage relationship, there would be, uh, God created this ideal of a beautiful picture of Christ and the church. And in the book of Proverbs, with that overall theme in mind, uh, the book of Proverbs addresses particularly a specific aspect of marriage and of that relationship that we certainly see between Christ and his church. And that is the issue of faithfulness. Proverbs stresses faithfulness in marriage and in particular it stresses sexual faithfulness in marriage. Um, That that is the emphasis we see in chapters 5, 6 and and 7. So the book of Proverbs and we're going to look at Proverbs 5 here in just a second. So you can open there or if you don't have a Bible there's one in the seat in front of you. You can pull it out and turn turn to page 306. We're going to look at chapter 5. But in particular this chapter does the following. It emphasizes the devastation that comes from sexual unfaithfulness and it emphasizes the joy that comes in marriage. Through sexual faithfulness, and in the Bible, marriage uh, is a is a lifelong covenant made between one man and one woman. So, in that relationship, uh, he's talking in this passage about guarding guarding that relationship by avoiding sexual unfaithfulness and by celebrating sexual faithfulness in marriage. Now, in preaching a message like this, I'm aware of a couple of challenges. One is we're not all married in the room. There's a lot of singles in our church. And so many of you, if you're single, you will be married. And this passage is as important to you as it is to any married couple in the church. It's vital that you get this as a single person, especially a young person. Um, There are others in the room who this will be a difficult message perhaps to hear at points because you're married but your spouse has been sexually unfaithful at some point. Or you've been sexually unfaithful to your spouse. And so I'm, I'm aware that a passage like this can stir things up. And I would point you at the outset to Christ, who is the one who restores and the, the one who forgives and who makes all things new, even as we talked about in communion today. Let that sink in i 'm aware that there are others here who may have been abused sexually, so the topic is difficult to talk about i 'm aware that there's some here who are married but have limitations and challenges of a health kind that make uh, that make the sexual union challenging and difficult for you so it can be hard to hear a passage celebrating sexual love. Uh, in light of perhaps some of the own difficulties you face as a couple. So I I can't uh, possibly cover all of those topics in looking at this text, so I'm going to allow the text just to have it say. Um, But I do want to, at the outset, just communicate that I am aware, we are aware that we live in a fallen world uh, and we live in a broken world and Perhaps there's no area that is more devastating than sexual brokenness and sin in our lives. And I recognize that to the outset and want to just point you to Christ. I wish I could address all of those. I don't have answers to all those, but I wish I could address more broadly. But I need to stick with the text here and just trust that God's grace will meet you in the middle of it. So let's uh, let's read from Proverbs chapter 5. This is God's word. My son, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion, and your lips guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. Oh, now, and now, oh, sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner." And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Drink water from your own cistern flowing water from your own well should your springs be scattered abroad streams of water in the streets let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth a lovely deer a graceful doe let her breasts "'Fill you at all times with delight. "'Be intoxicated always in her love. "'Why should you be intoxicated, my son, "'with a forbidden woman "'and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? "'For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, "'and he ponders all his paths. "'The iniquities of the wicked ensnare them, "'and he is held fast in the cords of his sin.'" He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he's led astray. Let's pray. God, we submit ourselves to your word, and we know this word will land on different hearts in different ways in the room this morning. So we pray that you would shepherd your people, that you would bring conviction and warning where necessary, that you would bring uh, grace and repentance to all. And that you would bring uh, hope and the joy that you intend uh, in in the marital union for those who are married. Lord, we pray that you would allow, allow this word to do its work in our midst. That you would ultimately show us the Lord Jesus Christ. That we might celebrate him and his good gifts to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well... This passage is surprising, perhaps, for some in a couple of ways. One, it might be surprising to you because the Bible speaks positively in the center section here, uh, speaks positively about sex, and some people think that the Bible would never have anything good to say about sex, which is somewhat odd given the Christian belief that God is the one who created sex and thus probably knows a thing or two about said activity. Um, so many would think it's not spoken of very positively, and we're going to talk about where it is spoken of positively as well. And this message in this passage is well as well is surprising because it's very foreign to our culture. Listen, here's the big idea of chapter 5. The big idea is that sexual faithfulness is the pathway to sexual fulfillment. Sexual faithfulness is the pathway to sexual fulfillment. Now, the topic for today is sexual fulfillment. But before we get there, I want to look at what the passage says in the first 14 verses. Because they are given as a warning, as a good gift of God to protect our sexual fulfillment. They are a fence that is to be built so that we can enjoy the yard. They are the gate and the fence that protect us so that we can enjoy the yard that the Lord has given us. So there is going to be a section here that is certainly sober at the beginning, but the sobriety that it brings is a gift from the Lord that we may enjoy the joy that He intends for us in the middle part of the passage. So the passage speaks about sort of two paths. That's very common in the book of Proverbs two paths. And so one path is sexual infidelity, sexual. Unfaithfulness, we could say it that way. And that is the pathway to death. There is another pathway, and it is sexual faithfulness within marriage. And that is the pathway to life and to joy. And so in this passage, Solomon, these are Proverbs of Solomon, is warning the sons, his sons, about being on the right path, the wise path to life, rather than the destructive path to death. And um, it's written uh, from a a, a male point of view to males. So I'm going to, as we go through this, try to make some application to females as well, to the ladies. But it's clearly written as a father to his son. And that's why the examples are written the way that they are. So here is the first two pathways with two different outcomes. Here's the first pathway. Sexual unfaithfulness leads to death. That's the first point. Sexual unfaithfulness leads to death. And we must get that before we understand God's good plan for sexual fulfillment. So he starts off in verse 1. Be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. He, He is making a plea. Hey, sons, this is significant. If you're a young person in the room today, this is really significant to all of us but certainly to the young. This, what's about to be communicated here is something that you need to listen up and get this because the, the culture around us is giving you throughout the day a nonstop series of messages that are the exact opposite about sex and sexuality. So he starts off saying, get what I am saying. Verse three, he's saying, beware of the forbidden woman. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. And her speech is smoother than oil. Now, who is the forbidden woman? In chapters six and chapter seven, basically, he talks about warning against adultery in three chapters five, six, and seven. And there are 65 verses that address this in some type of way of a warning. And so the forbidden woman is sometimes called in the later chapters a prostitute. She is sometimes called an adulteress. But basically, she is the person that you are not married to. Whether you're single or married, she is someone, and whether she's single or married, the forbidden woman is the woman, guys, that you are not married to. The forbidden man, ladies, is the man that is not your husband. And look what he says about her. Her lips drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. This is very sensuous language. The lips that are dripping honey, for instance, and this speech that is like oil that is, that is smooth is what is being said here. So her lips drip honey likely has something to do with her speech. She's flirtatious. Uh, she's flattering. She's using her language to let you know, either by hint or more direct message, of her availability. Her her, her lips are dripping, honey it's potentially also a physical description. It could mean that as well that her kisses are sweet. Her kisses are sweet. Dripping honey. Her her words are smoother than oil. The same thing. She is alluring. She is seductive by the way she speaks. That's what he's saying. Sons, you need to watch out. You're gonna encounter, you're gonna encounter her. So be prepared. And then he says, She isn't what she appears. She appears sweet and a delight. She appears mysterious and smooth but she is destructive he says in the end she is as bitter as wormwood she's not sweet like honey she's bitter wormwood is a plant that the extract from the plant is bitter and actually if you ingest too much wormwood you can it's actually fatal you can die so it's a it's a it's a plant with a bitter flavor and he's saying she looks like honey she presents Honey, but what you are going to get when you indulge is bitterness. Her lips sound smooth. Her speech is inviting. It's smooth as, you know, really, it's not smooth. It is cutting. It's like a sharp as a two-edged sword. That is a weapon of destruction. She, she looks one way. She presents herself one way. But the reality is she is going to slice you up. The experience of unfaithfulness, the experience of the adulteress, the prostitute, the forbidden woman, ladies, the forbidden man, the experience will pierce you like a sword, he says. We live in a world that is so foreign to this, don't we? Because we live in a world that says sexual fulfillment is linked to many partners, Sexual fulfillment might even be linked to the forbidden partner. There's an exhilaration in sleeping with a new person, our culture says. And, and, and if your partner is married, then there is a, 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 the secrecy of it all sort of fuels the passion of it all. The sneaking around, the, the all that's involved in the affair. Seems tantalizing and seems, uh, it's an emotional high. But it's destructive, the scripture says. The culture says forbidden water is the sweetest. The word of God says it is the most bitter. The forbidden water is bitter and it will destroy you. That's what he's warning his sons about. Now many in the church would say, hey, I agree with this. You know, I agree that if you have an affair, if you sleep with somebody that you're not married to, that that is wrong. And I think adultery, it does have negative effects. You're from a divorced home where your parents were unfaithful or you've seen the, the effect on other people. You've, you've been friends with someone whose spouse wasn't faithful and you know, I get the devastation. So maybe you're a Christian and you say, I, I get this. I'm, 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 I'm alarmed by the idea of sleeping with someone that I am not married to. But I wonder if we would see a similar, understandably lesser, but a similar danger in the digitally forbidden woman. The forbidden woman of pornography. Jesus says that if we look on another person With lustful desire and intent, we have committed adultery in our hearts. And it doesn't have the same sort of horizontal consequences, meaning its effect on someone else. If you're married and you look at pornography, it does not have the same consequence. Uh, The relational consequence is not as damaging, perhaps, as an actual affair, having sex with an actual person, carrying on a relationship with an actual person that you're not married to. The, the betrayal is is far deeper in, in that relationship. However, it is on the pathway to death. Many who find themselves in an affair would look back and say, "I never thought I would see myself sexually unfaithful to my spouse." But if you back up, you go, "It really all began with crossing one barrier that I was uncomfortable with, and then crossing another barrier that I was uncomfortable with, and then another barrier, another barrier, and that's how sin works." And sort of the digital forbidden woman or forbidden man, For uh, certainly women uh, view pornography as well. It's a lower percentage than men, but it's an issue with women, especially millennials, younger women in particular. it, It is equally a pathway to death. And with pornography, the temptations are far greater because the promise is that you can entertain sexual fantasies and no one is hurt. In this situation, at least with the forbidden woman, as he goes through, you can, you can imagine some dangers that would happen. Uh, b- but with the, with the other, it's, it's as if, well, there is no danger. And the younger generation in our country uh, has very little concern about the damage and about the harm of the forbidden woman, the forbidden man, in pornography. Last year, 2016, a study was done of teenagers and young adults. These were not all Christians. It was just done among teenagers and young adults. And they were asked to... Uh, respond to various actions and, and, and rate them on how morally wrong they were, like always morally wrong all the way down to never morally wrong. So there was a scale, and they took everybody's responses, and then they said which were, which were the most morally wrong ranked by numbers of responses. So I think the worst was the most agreement I think was on, if I recall, taking something that doesn't belong to you. So most of the teenagers and young adults agreed that if you take something that doesn't belong to you, that's morally wrong. As it went through and ranked the various things, not recycling was rated as a higher moral wrong than using pornography. Now, I'm all for recycling. And no joke, I think the evangelical church should be greener than we are. So that's a different topic for a different Sunday. I think we're to steward God's creation. So this is not a statement about recycling, (laughs) Not a statement about recycling, but it's a statement about we have a generation now. This is the first generation to grow up with the forbidden woman in their pocket 24-7, ready to be pulled out and ready on the smartphone to be viewed all day, every day, no barriers, no fences, no protection. She's right there. And so it's ubiquitous. It is so common that the generation that has now grown up with pornography all the time in their pocket has an entirely different view about the damage. And, and one, one of the experts in the study surmised, this, this wasn't part of the study, but this was an analysis, was that the reason recycling was viewed as worse than pornography is because rec- if you fail or failure to recycle, failure to recycle could harm others in the long run at least. By damaging the planet and the environment for the next generation and the generation following. But pornography hurts no one. That was the idea. You just need to sit down with any counselor that's worked with any marriages at all and ask, does pornography use affect the emotional and sexual intimacy of a marriage? And as a young person that has indulged in pornography, the average first usage is about at age 11 now. From age 11 till average male marriage, I think it's late 20s, 30 right now. So after 19 years of pornography nonstop, how will that affect the marriage when the person joins? The the stats and the effect of the wave is not even out there yet. The the results are coming in. But we're going to have a generation coming through that have not heard this message and not heard this warning, and therefore they will never get to the joy of sexual intimacy that we're about to study because sexual faithfulness is the pathway to sexual intimacy. And the dad is warning his sons, not because he or God is opposed to sex, but because God is eminently for sex and wants it to be enjoyed to its fullness. My point is just to say the forbidden woman is more readily accessible now than ever before. And all of us, especially the young, need to heed the warning. Let's feel the warning of this passage and realize that we are all vulnerable. Ladies as well. I mentioned that ladies indulge in pornography, but ladies as well are subject to the lips of the forbidden man. His lips drip honey as well. If you look in chapter 7, you'll see that the forbidden woman uses her lips to invite the man to her bedroom. She says, I have, you know, Egyptian linens. I have perfumed my bed, and I'm inviting you to my bed. That's what chapter 7 says. That's how she uses her language. A lot of Christian women, if a dude just walked up and said, I've perfumed my bed and I have Egyptian linens, what do you think? She'd probably slap him. Okay, so maybe. I mean, so some ladies, maybe not. But, but, but the approach is a little bit different oftentimes. I realize I'm stereotyping a bit here. But often the approach is different. So, ladies, you might not respond to something like that. But what are the lips of the forbidden man saying to you maybe he's a coworker maybe he's a neighbor maybe he's a friend and, and he takes an interest in you and you know what unlike your husband he listens he not just has dripping he not just has honey dripping from his lips he's got honey dripping from his ears because he is listening and you know what his he he, he pays attention tell me more He's interested, at least at this point. He's interested. his, His lips drip, honey, because you know what? Unlike your husband, his words are encouraging to you. He's not critical of you. He affirms you. He's compassionate towards you. You know what? He notices the little things about you that your husband hasn't noticed in a decade. He notices those little things. He points them out. He checks on you. He wants to know how you are doing. And you know what? There's now an emotional connection that has formed. Emotional adultery, it's called sometimes. But that emotional connection is on the pathway to death. Because that often leads. There's an emotional unfaithfulness already. But it leads to a sexual unfaithfulness frequently. And you find yourself sexually joined to him. It never You never started out with that intent. But the honey that dripped from his lips, the open ear, drew you in. And you know what? He is the exact same. He is a sharp sword. He is bitter as wormwood. And you will be destroyed. The chapter goes on. I'm just going to read the rest of the chapter and then the next section and then I'm going to get to the... Uh, that the, the, uh, it's sort of the positive section with that. Now that the warning's in view verse five, her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. <clears throat> she does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. Look, he's saying sons ponder the path you're on. She doesn't think about it. The digital lady, she's not thinking about the path of wisdom. The, the the adulterous lady, she's not thinking about the path of wisdom. Now, O oh sons, listen to me. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house. It's not even just commit adultery. Don't even get close. Lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. At the end of your life, and you, at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. At the end of the pathway, there's an end of the pathway. This is a warning. This is God's mercy to us. You're headed in a direction. He's saying, if you go down this path. And at the end, you'll say, oh, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen. Verse 14, I'm at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. He's saying, look, think about the end of the pathway. Forget forget lips that drip honey. Forget smooth talk. Forget alluring, enticing language. Think about the end of the pathway where you're going to be saying, I wish I had listened. I'm consumed and I'm on the brink of utter ruin. Why is he telling all this? Because God's all about mercy. He is reaching out and saying, I'm telling you where you're headed or where you will head, young men, in this passage. So there's time to repent and get off that path and get on another path. Now, as negative as the Proverbs are about warning about sex outside of marriage, they are equally or more, this passage, celebratory of sex within marriage. So, avoid the adulterous woman. What should you do instead? Verse 15. Drink water. From your own cistern, flowing, rel, flowing water from your own well. So, sexual faithfulness leads to death. Sex, uh, sexual unfaithfulness leads to death. Sexual faithfulness leads to life. It leads to joy. Sexual faithfulness is the pathway to sexual fulfillment. So if you turn from her, if you don't go by her house, if you don't uh, look at her on the internet, if you don't engage her, then what will happen is you can drink water from your own cistern, from your own well. What's he saying? He's saying not just to avoid the forbidden woman, but to enjoy God's greater gift to you, your wife. Young man, enjoy your wife. And he uses the imagery of water to speak of the sexual relationship. A cistern and a well are means of containing water, actually, and you would have had one at home. And so he uses this well, this water imagery. He's going to talk about springs that are scattered, streams of water, fountain of water. He's using all this imagery talk about the sexual relationship. And he's saying, when he says, drink from your own well, he's saying, enjoy sexual fulfillment at home. Now, I want to point out something about the language here, which I pointed out, we taught through Song of Solomon. If you're new here, we taught through Song of Solomon on Sunday gatherings, which was, uh, well, it, w- it was memorable. And, um, and we, we looked at that and saw how frequently there are metaphors Uh, throughout that book for sex, for the sexual organs, there are metaphors being used. So it's a veiled language. But the reason I pointed it out then was not to get everybody, oh, what does that mean? You know, everybody kind of freaking out and looking for sex when it's not even there. Uh, But to point out the fact that God is not a prude, he is speaking very clearly, very celebratory about this in some veiled ways and in some explicit ways, we'll see as well. This is probably, scholars say this is probably uh, explicit metaphor, which sounds like an oxymoron, but this is probably explicit metaphor going on right here. Uh, Scholars who have looked at ancient Near Eastern poetry and the Song of Songs as well say that there's always in these kinds of statements, or not always, Regularly in these kinds of statements, there's what's being said on the surface, and then there's what is being pointed to. So I'll just discreetly say it like this. The woman is a well. The woman has a well. And he's invited, he's, yea, commanded to drink from his own well at home and not other wells. Verse 16 Uh, can be read more than one way. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Now, there's two ways to read that. Some scholars say that that's talking about him. And so it's saying to him, you know, this sexuality and water imageries, uh, you have springs, you have streams as well. Should you just sort of allow those streams to flow indiscriminately into the streets? Or should you rather reserve... Your streams for your wife. And so this is, th- that, if that's what it means, it would be saying, don't be chasing the forbidden woman. Uh, you've got a well at home and you be at home as well so that all the water imagery about your sexuality is at home as well. It could be saying that it could be still referring to her. And the people who say it refers to her make the point that verse 18's more water imagery. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. They say the wife of the youth and the fountain are parallel. So probably all of this is about her. If that's the case, then what it's saying is, why should? what if she was out scattering her streams abroad, her spring? So she's a well, she uh, you know, uh, is, it has her own sexuality. How would you feel, young man, if she was out, having uh, promiscuous sex with any number of people. That would be spreading her streams abroad. So it could mean that. If that's the case, he's saying, let's apply, let's apply the golden rule here. Not only is uh, immorality the pathway to death, flip it. How would you feel if your wife spent her time pursuing other men? How would you feel about it if your wife was addicted to looking at, at men sexually uh, through pornography, how, how would how would you feel about that? So it could be treat her the way you'd want her to treat you. One of two ways. So it's either young man, your springs go with her well, or it could be that it's all about her sexuality and and, and that she is a, uh, a well, a, she is a cistern, she is springs, she is streams, she is a fountain. And so enjoy her. Whichever it is, the point is identical. The point is that you are to find your sexual satisfaction exclusively in your spouse. And if you commit to that, if you are faithful there, you will be set up to enjoy her in a way beyond what you Would imagine. So sexual faithfulness leads to wife. So he gives two exhortations here. Number one, rejoice in your wife. Don't be tempted out there. Verse 18, let your fountain be blessed. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Now, this phrase, the wife of your youth, that's a little clunky, right? If I look down at my wife and say, I love you, wife of my youth. We got married young. I could say that. It sounds a little clunky to me, but it is beautiful. It is a powerful, powerful phrase. Rejoice means, literally, it means to have joy, take joy again. And so what he's saying is, find joy. Don't look at the forbidden woman. Don't pursue the forbidden woman. Rather, do this. Find joy in her again and again and again and again. Not your youthful wife, wife of your youth. Now, if you're young, then she's the wife of your youth and she's youthful. But if you're older, it says, take joy again and again, month after month, year after year in the woman you covenanted with that you committed to in your younger days. He's painting this glorious picture. What if you got to the end of your life and it wasn't, I should have listened to instruction. I am in utter despair. That's one pathway. What if you got to the end and said, The wife of my youth has been my joy? That's the glorious picture of the other way the wife of your youth. You're not going to remain youthful. Cisterns, wells, springs, fountains, they age. Okay? They age. You can chuckle. That's okay. Find joy. And so find joy in the wife of your youth. Now he's about to say find joy in her body sexually. That's coming up in a minute. But he starts with find joy in her. Find joy in the wife of your youth. Find joy. I believe this is personal. Find joy in her personally. Again and again, know her. Again and again, care for her. Nourish her, cherish her, be near her, understand her, be patient with her, connect with her. That's what he's saying. As the stages of life progress, don't go find a new forbidden woman. Certainly don't be trying to find a younger woman for a thrill, but take your joy in the wife of your youth rejoice in her men are men are called to rejoice in their wives every step of the way she's a beautiful gift this is how he describes it and here and in the song of songs they use like comparisons with animals that we don't get culturally so this may not mean a lot to you ladies but here it did in this day she's a lovely deer and a graceful doe rejoice in her she's gracious she's elegant she's lovely She's faithful. Rejoice in her. That is the basis. When you have joy in her personally, when you have exclusive eyes for her, an exclusive heart for her, exclusive words for her, exclusive ears for her, then you have the foundation for the Bible's word, an intoxicating sex life that he describes in the next verses. So you rejoice in her as the starting place because bedroom joy springs from relational joy. The world says bedroom joy uh, springs from, I don't know, new, mysterious, uh, as many different partners as can we can run through the bed. Um, but the Bible says, no, one repeatedly rejoicing in her Growing old together. It is not easy. It is difficult. Walking through the difficulties of life. Patiently enduring the conflicts that you walk through. But sticking together for the long term. That sets you up for the next one. Which is enjoy sex with your wife. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Enjoy sex with your wife. That's where he goes next. A lovely dear. Verse 19. A graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Welcome to Grace Church. (laughs) When I come to passages like that, I'm just always aware that somebody here invited their grandma to church for the first time. (laughs) And if that's you, I want to encourage you to relax because grandma and grandpa were married for or are married. Maybe she's still still living for years, and she's forgotten more about this than you even know. So, okay, she gets this. Grandma's sitting here and saying, "Oh yeah, I know that for sure. I get that." Grandpa's sitting here and saying, "Yep, the time-tested truth. That's yep. That's exactly right." So, don't be nervous. They get it. They know. Said the grandfather who's preaching the message today. (laughs) So (laughs) that's what they say. Just as there was a stern warning to. Avoid the forbidden warning of the woman. There is a thrilling charge to sexual pleasure in marriage. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. In other words, he's saying you are to enjoy her body. She isn't to enjoy your body. That's not the sum total of a relationship. That is the fruit, the result of a relationship that experiences an emotional intimacy, a relational closeness, a a a, a romantic connection, a friendship connection, a companionship connection, a one flesh connection as a covenanted couple together. But there is a very clear call to enjoy her. So your sexual attraction to your wife honors God. God created the sexual attraction. He, God gave her breasts. That wasn't a dirty thing that some, wow, really filthy, foul person thought of. God created that and created your desire for her uh, so that you would experience a uniting with her that would be intoxicating is the word that he uses. God created sex. And would that our cult Excuse me, would that our culture understood this. Would that the young people in our church understood this. Would that we all understood this. That God created the union. God created the oneness. God created romance. God created orgasm. God created passion. And God says, be intoxicated by it all. It's not a hidden secret. It's age appropriate. We have elementary kids in their classes It's not a secret, it is what God wants the son to know. Your sexual relationship should be intoxicating, he says to her, uh, to his son rather, be intoxicated always in her love, verse 19. Tremper Longman, who wrote a commentary on Proverbs, said this, The sensuous description of the wife continues with the wish that the son might be intoxicated by her breast and inebriated by her love. The language of intoxication is suggested also in the Song of Songs, where the woman claims that the man's, quote, love is better than wine. Song of Songs 410. Love and lovemaking make one lightheaded, similar to the effects of drinking wine. So that's literally language that she's using here. The Bible does not forbid the drinking of alcohol. The Bible does forbid drunkenness except when it comes to sex, not alcohol drunkenness, but inebriated with her love. He says, be blown away by her love, by the experience of her love. Be always intoxicated in her love. The ESV footnote says that it could be translated led astray. And so the you wouldn't be led astray in a marriage, but the idea is be swept away in delight for the one flesh, union with your wife, with her as a person, and we've already mentioned with her body as well. It's really a call to enjoyment. It's a call to go for it. It's a call to uh, an exhilarating, invigorating, stimulating, intoxicating experience for the couple that is committed to one another in covenant relationship. And that covenant, that trust, that faithfulness maximizes the enjoyment. That's his key. That's, he's wanting to protect him so he gets. Why do we have all the warnings against the adulterous woman? So he can get to the verses that I just read. But he's not going to guess to this intoxicating experience if he's wasting his life pursuing the other. Proverbs drives the point home in verse 20. Why should you be intoxicated, same word, my son, with the forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress. So he's saying, be swept away by the sexual experience with your wife, but why would you want to be led astray by the adulteress? In his paraphrase of the Bible, Eugene Peterson, in the message, renders this this way. Verse 20, he writes, Why would you trade enduring intimacies? for cheap thrills with a whore for dalliance with a promiscuous stranger that's what's in view in those two verses enduring intimacies on this pathway cheap thrills and that certainly applies to pornography you can have enduring intimacy son he's saying or you can get cheap thrills. One will lead to a fulfillment and a joy. Imperfect, we're in a broken world. Marriage is not always glorious and wonderful. We get all that. It's challenging. But even so, there is this provided down this road. And the other, cheap thrills that lead to death. You've got a real-life person, a real-life commitment to a real-life wife or husband. And a covenant union of trust. Or you can chase after the lady working in the cubicle next to you, the neighbor on your block. Or you can pull out your phone and get a cheap thrill anytime you want. But it is death. Why go for a cheap thrill when you can have enduring intimacy? And he saves the most sober counsel for the end. So he says, avoid the adulterer, Adultery. Celebrate the wife of your youth, but then he goes, that's all horizontal, isn't it? Then he goes vertical. Verse 21, for a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. This is what's really in view. And he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. So he said, look, ultimately look to the Lord, and the Lord knows what pathway you're on. Now that is frightening, and that is comforting. The frightening point part is this, that God knows what we are thinking and what we are doing. And even if our spouse doesn't know, even if no one in the church knows, and even even if nobody else knows, God knows our pathway. And we're moving down that pathway. You're not neutral. You're on a pathway. I'm on a pathway. I'm not just sitting here. I don't know. Which way should I go? I'm moving. My heart is not still. It is active and it is moving towards my wife or towards Forbidden, cheap thrills. It's moving one way or the other. God knows that, and and so it's it's frightening that I I could be on a pathway that is dangerous. And if you're on a pathway that's dangerous, if nobody else knows, God knows today. It could be an emotional attraction. It could be a lustful attraction. You may entertain a fantasy about a person that you know. You may be indulging in pornography. You may, be, you may have a hookup app on your phone. In a crowd this size, someone certainly might. You might be visiting strip clubs. You may be in the middle of a sexual relationship and affair with someone right now. And the Lord's mercy is to call out to you and say, you are headed for death. Now, those are different steps along the pathway. Emotional fantasy and full-blown adultery are different things, but it's still on the same path. And God, his, his kindness leads us to repentance. God is saying, you can confess that. You can repent. You can be restored. If you're in the room and you're alive, there is hope for you because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this is comforting because the warning is for our good. It's to get us on the right path. He's telling his sons, I want you to have the intoxicating love experience, the clean conscience, the faithfulness, the joy of covenant partnership. I want that for you. So don't, don't hinder it. Don't give it up. Get, so so it's, a, it's an appeal to get on the right pathway. And to experience the grace of God. It's not too late to be free. It says that iniquities ensnare. That means a trap. Iniquities is sin. That you may be held fast in the cords of his sin. It says that when you go down this road. You're going to be in cords of sin. Like bound up. Unable to move. You're going to be in a trap. But Jesus dies on a cross. To spring you from the trap of sin. Jesus is raised from the dead. So that the cords are cut off of you and you can be free. The good news of this is that no matter where you find yourself, even if you haven't heeded the warning, it's not too late. You can repent now looking to Jesus who has forgiven you and receive that forgiveness from him. It may involve more talking to others, talking to your spouse in particular, if there's issues that is a sin against him or her. You may need to get some help, talk to a pastor, talk to your small group leader, a mature Christian friend, someone who can say, hey, okay, you're entangled. You've confessed that to the Lord. Uh, The Lord forgives you, but let's help you walk down the pathway to restoration. That's what the church is for. And by the way, this is common. I mean, this isn't in the Bible, three chapters of it, because like one time it happened. That's That's why it's in there. The temptation is real, and so there's mercy extended. God can free you. God can free me. And not only does he forgive us, but then he gives us power to walk this pathway. Okay, so two closing thoughts and we're done. Number one, let's all be honest that the allure of sexual sin is real and is strong. The allure of digital temptation, online Pornography—the the the allure of relating with looking at someone, relating with someone. Someone in here, male or female, say, "Well, I don't really struggle with sexual fantasies or whatever." Okay, let me give you another category. The tenth commandment says, "You shall not covet your neighbor's husband or wife." So maybe you're not having vivid sexual imagery running through your head, but you're thinking, "Wow, I wonder what it'd be to be married to him. He really takes care of his wife. He's romantic. He took." her on a getaway and a vacation, and he provides, her. wow, I wonder what, he, he, he would, sure would be nice to have a husband like him. Matter of fact, that's not, sec, you're not sexually sleeping with the guy, but you're coveting him. That's unfaithful. So we all have been unfaithful in one way, and, 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 and some of us have been unfaithful in the way that this chapter itself describes. We've all been guilty of heart lust. But if you've been guilty beyond just your thoughts, then then I want to encourage you to come clean with that. Are you dealing with your temptation? How are you tempted? Who knows that you're tempted? Does anybody know your temptations? Towards a relationship, towards a person you're fantasizing about, towards pornography, towards coveting? Who can ask you about that? And here's another one I would say. Are you filling your mind with truth or are you believing the culture's lies? I would say if you're married, verses 15 through 20 should be key verses in our lives. Key verses because we're hearing the lie all day long that it's not this person you've married. And as you get older, it's certainly not the person of your youth. Man, you know we did that for a while but i got to have a new experience a new relationship we all could be tempted that way so it's 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 saying no this is what the scripture says and i'm going for this because this is god's design and by grace i'm going to receive forgiveness where i failed in thought and deed and i'm going to receive power to live this out this is my vision this is my goal obviously the bible says much more than this but this is part of it a a intimate relationship together that is expressed, that personal intimacy, heart intimacy expressed through this kind of physical intimacy. I'm not saying just the physical intimacy is the goal. That's a very short amount of time for your whole week that you spend with your spouse. That's a very limited part of the relationship, but a key one. So let's be honest, and let's change our thoughts to the Bible's thoughts, which says the best sex is not found in porn. It's not found from a hookup off the Tender app, it's found in a long term covenant relationship of trust in marriage. Secondly, if you're married, direct your sexual energy towards your spouse. Ray Ortland of verse 19, Ray Ortland's a Bible scholar, a pastor, of verse 19, he says that this describes both the quantity and quality of sex. Here's the quantity let her breast, uh, I'm sorry, this, here's the quality. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. So that's quality, a delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Intoxication is a delight word too. So there is this quality of delight that we're to grow and mature in over time. It may be challenging, but we're to grow in that. And then there is a quantity as well. How often let her breasts fill you at all times with the light, be intoxicated always in her love, always, always, all times, always. So he says there's both quantity and there's both quality in the relationship described here, which is a goal by God's grace. And the way we get there is we build into our relationship, we focus on an intimate heart connection in our relationship, and then that leads to a physical relationship that comes from a place of trust, care, consideration, and connection as a tr- uh, as a couple so you build trust and intimacy and relationship and transparency and vulnerability all the relational aspects that God has for us together and then that will be fulfilled in a physical relationship sometimes i give homework i have no authority to give anybody <laughs> homework i'm just like i just here's the homework assignment i do that in the sermons i did that 2 weeks ago i gave homework uh, to the guys in the room. And so we were meeting as a pastoral team this week, and I said, hey, i got a homework idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of obvious, snicker, snicker, what the homework is for the married couple. So how about, you know, sometimes we give you a gift. I said, what about if we give a gift, and everybody on the way out, we give them a little gift. I just thought I was immensely clever. We give them a little gift that's a door sign that says, do not disturb that they can hang on their bedroom door, and that would make their kids, like, ugh, gag. Uh, <laughs> To, and if you're a young person here right now, I'm sorry, I don't have a throw-up bucket for you. But uh, the kids will gag. But you get you get the idea. Uh, ha, ha, ha. And, and so then one of the guys in the room on the in, in our pastoral team said, well, I, I don't know that that's the assignment. Just go and do what we say. He said, maybe the assignment is a conversation. So we're getting our money's worth out of the pastoral intern because he's the one who brought that up. <laughs> It was, the, it was the seasoned guys that said, just give him a door sign and go do this. Go, go get drunk and let her breast fill you with delight. Just go. That's the homework. And he was like, but here's a conversation. So that's it. It's a conversation. So here's the homework. I did, I did come up with the questions, but he came up with the idea. Here's two questions. i gotta, I got to redeem somehow my bad idea. So here's the two questions. It's really both, but, he, but this comes first. Read verses 15 to 20 or early the whole chapter. First question is, how is our relationship doing in light of these verses? How, just how are we doing? Or We look at that and go, wow, yeah, I think we're there. we like, wow, that's, I can't even imagine. We're nowhere near. So how are we doing? And then here's the second question. How can I grow in this area of uh, emotional and physical intimacy? Not how can you grow. The question is, okay, I, oh, it's funny you ask because I brought a list. No, it's how can I grow? How can I grow? That's the assignment. How are we doing in light of this faithfulness, enjoying this, part, this one aspect of marriage? And, and how can I grow? How, I mean, I'm sorry, how are we doing and how can I grow? And I'm going to send you out with this. Uh, we all, as I mentioned, fail the faithfulness test. If we're going to talk about lust, fantasy, coveting, everything. But there's one who is faithful and never failed the faithfulness test. And that is the groom to the bride, the church. That is the groom, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are his bride. We have been unfaithful, friends. We have been unfaithful, but he has been faithful to us. He forgives our unfaithfulness as we repent and turn and ask forgiveness. And as we ask forgiveness of our partner, if we've sinned against our spouse, him or her. But he forgives us and he empowers us to be faithful. And he didn't put these verses in here to frustrate you so that you would never be able to have anything like that. He puts all of this in here so that that there's a vision that by grace and over time and through love and through repentance, we could grow closer together as companions in our hearts, in our friendship, in our romance, in our relationship. We could grow together in our one flesh relationship and we could grow together in our sexual intimacy as well. He puts this out here. Because Jesus died and rose for you to have a marriage that is reflected like this. So there's a vision in front of us. Let's just get on the right path. We're on the wrong path. Let's repent and get on the right path. And let's begin to take steps by His grace for His purposes. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.